I'm Frank Gallagher, host of Soundman Confidential. It's showtime. Plug in. My guest of today's show is Fred Armisen. He's an actor, comedian and drummer. Settle in. It's a good one. Good afternoon, Fred. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Fantastic, fantastic. Now, you're a drummer. Uh, yes. An accomplished drummer. A man who made Thank a you. living playing drums. And, and uh, so what, what are you playing these days? What's your favorite kit du jour? I have this kit by um, a company called Q. It's this uh, uh, California company. They're, they're in um, San Pedro. And I have this copper kit that I really like. It's kind of metallic sounding. It looks cool. And it's just kind of my go-to. That's just like what I like playing the most. And uh, are, you play, are you actively playing at the moment with anyone or are you? Yeah, um, no, not really. Like I'll play once every couple of months on the Seth Meyers show, Late Night with Seth Meyers, but I just use the kit that's there. And um, otherwise for my stand-up, like I'll, I'll do stand-up comedy, but I'll have my kit with me on stage. So I, I just will go into impressions of drummers, impressions of styles of music, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. What do you think is the lead instrument in rock and roll? The lead or main? The, 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 most, important, the most important instrument in rock and roll. No. As a drummer, you should darn, know that. It's not a trick, darn, it's not a trick question. I, um, I think it might be the bass. What I, I say, think it might be the bass because I think the drums are the best instrument and the most interesting. But something about the bass feels like that's what that's what's got to keep it like really pushing it into what what rock and roll is. Well, I believe it's the hi hat from where I sit. Wow. And I'll tell you why. I was in Buenos Aires with this band, and this is just a hi-hat story. And all of a sudden, I look around, and there's a, one of these audio schools. There's 12 kids sitting behind me with notebooks watching a sound check, which I usually don't allow. And I said to them, what's the most important instrument? And they all put their hand up, guitar, guitar, voice, voice. Uh -huh. Nobody even mentioned the drums. Uh -huh. so, so Sterling Campbell was on stage and I said, Sterling, play kick, snare and hi-hat. So Sterling plays kick, snare and hi-hat. And I said, no way. Then I said, play it again, Sterling. And I pulled the hi-hat down in the mix and their faces dropped. <laughs> A lot of people don't realize how important the hi-hat is. Yes. But well, I, I will agree with you on bass because, and somebody else just just mentioned to me that that I said this and I can't remember saying it that with Tina Weymouth I just pushed the bass the bass was there to push the rest of the sound out into the audience and I thought that's not a bad analogy yeah because I just feel like if the bass is doing eighth notes that's already kind of rhythmical let's say the eighth notes are the the notes of rock and roll da 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 and then it also carries like whatever the chords, it carries the, wherever the, the song is. So I just feel like you can play the bass and uh, like, like a Ramon song and still communicate what the song feels like with just the bass. Aye. 
How old were you when you started playing? Um, uh, ten, around ten. You got your first drum kit. First drum kit, uh, maybe around uh twelve. And then the neighbors moved out. I can't believe that my parents put up with me playing the drums. I sometimes I see photos or a photo of myself, and it's just like I've got my drum kit in my bedroom, and it's just a you know medium sized house. So I don't know how they put up with it. But um, neighbors didn't move out. But um, yeah, I loved it. I just as soon as I saw drums, I, I knew I wanted to play them. So so you you. Uh, you- Start. You branched out as a drummer, and you had you had professional experience with the Blue Man Group, etc. Um, yeah. What uh, What was the transition to to Were you doing Were you doing comedic stuff before that, or did did that lead you into doing uh, the comedic stuff? That kind of led me into it because I was playing drums in Blue Man Group, and before that, I was in a bunch of punk bands and stuff or, or a punk band. Um, and I kind of like saw from where I was sitting as a drummer, this is in Chicago, that the audiences really uh, turned out for it. They were, it was packed every night and it just opened my mind as to like entertainment in general. I thought, Oh, you know, if, if you try to be entertaining, good things come to you. Like if you try to reach out a little bit, and it just came from that. And I just started making videos and um, uh, it just went from there. And as soon as I started doing that, my whole life just sort of unfolded in a positive way. Were, were, you, uh, were, you, did, were you developing ca- your characters at that point too? I, I, I always had been because when I was in bands, in the van or whatever, I was always doing impressions it sounds like almost like such a cliche of the thing to, to say about being a comedian, but I was doing impressions and, you know, just doing jokes and bits with, with my band. So it just came from there. It was like a very, it actually was um, organic and very natural. It's almost like the activities that I was doing in the van, uh, uh, you know, just trying to make my band members laugh is, you know, what turned out to be the most useful Aye. As opposed to the actual drumming. Yeah. If you can make a van full laugh and you get on television, you can make a lot of people laugh. Did, did, um, did I read somewhere that you wanted to do a parody of, of uh, Get Back, the Beatles documentary where you play Ringo? Bill, it was kind of like, you know, we do documentary now, this documentary, fake documentary show, and it comes up all the time because it was such a, you know, well-known documentary. But... I think we would have a hard time tackling it because it's, it's too well known. It's like too, you, you could already see what's going to be coming if you try to do a parody of it. But, um, uh, but I do love it. I do love get back. I, I watched every second of it. Yeah. I'm I'm a, a very, very large Beatles uh, aficionado. And, and you are. So, you, so you, oh. have you, I'm guessing you must have uh, crossed paths with, some of them are people who've worked with them. Yeah, well, uh, funnily enough, in the 70s in London, um, a guy who worked for McCartney for Wings gave me the number of the office and they said, we need a guy 
called the office and I was terrified. I couldn't do it. I couldn't work for a bureau. I was just too. Wow. I was just too. And I, I had that number in my pocket for years. That's their loss. McCartney's Productions, McCartney Productions Limited, MPL. Yeah. And, and I probably still have that little scrap of paper somewhere in, in the archives. But uh, I was terrified. I thought, it's a beetle. How, how dare I even think about doing that? Yeah. And, uh, I was a boy, too. I, you know, I was, I just, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I, wasn't, I wasn't ready for it. So uh, Ringo, of course, uh, incredible, incredible drummer and character. I mean, well, are there other drummers that get you? get you interested um clam burke from blondie keith moon was a big effect on me Stuart copeland topper uh dave barbarossa from bow wow wow um janet weiss from sleater kinney i i continue to be like inspired by drummers but but clam burke was like the first one where i noticed um a style like a a, a, a like um fashion style like he wore the suit his you know drums looked really cool but i'd say clemberg was like the first sort of sort of i don't know set me on but keith moon too of course and ringo and alan myers from devo yeah yeah i, I only ever encountered keith moon in pubs in london where did he, you really oh yeah there was a there was a roadie pub on wardle street uh that we used to all go to it's called the ship it was the it was the late sixties. I lived in London in the late sixties. I lived in London in sixty six actually, uh, as a boy, and uh, that's another story. So so, Mooney would he, another man who terrified me. I mean, I was in awe of him, but he terrified me because he was such a force of nature, even in a bar. You know, it was he he held the room quite quite easily. Really, and he would drink triple brandies, not doubles, triples, because the measure in England, as you know, is pretty small. So he he would be a, and he, he and he never had money. Really? No, he was always oh oh. I've got an American Express card, but <laughs> pubs in England at that time didn't take American Express, so so you'd have people buying them drinks. He was a, a lovely <laughs> man, a lovely man, but. Uh-huh. But yeah, I I love Clem too. I met Clem very early in my New York career, and, and I, he's actually I have a, a podcast episode with Clem. You should, you should have a wee listen to that. A, oh, you, you you've got him on one. Oh yes. Okay, great. Oh yes. I've got to I've got to get through them all, but uh, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, yeah. He's a like you say. He's a got a style, got a vibe. Yeah. It's all about vibe for me. You know, when I got into this and I learned, I came up learning, I learned how to, how to mix drums and how to mix vocals and with very primitive equipment going, going way back there. But it was always about the vibe for me. And I, I've been fortunate because I, I, like, uh, I like mixing people who give me something, you know, because if it's not coming off the stage, you can't fake it. So the vibe's got to be there for me. And it, and it all starts with the drama. Yeah. And, and then I slip the bass in. I slip the bass in. It's, it's, uh, yeah. You got that. If you don't have that, you don't have a mix. Yeah, my, my eyes and ears are always drawn to the drummer. Ever since I was a kid, you know, watching shows and stuff. Um, I, it is my favorite instrument. And in fact, as far as drums go, 
timbales are my favorite of drums in general as an instrument. Um, but I have some questions for you. What venue, uh, what was the strangest venue that you, you thought I cannot get a good sound in this place and I can't blame myself, but this blank, this whatever beach spaceship, whatever, what was the most, how about this? What was the most challenging? There are the, the, the worst places are marble swimming pools. There was a place in Derby in England called Derby baths hall. It was a hall attached to the swimming pool and they put boards over the pool and put a stage in. It was horrendous. You could play there and it would still be reverberating three days later. It was it, it was obnoxious. Wow. Or, or an old abandoned bank. We've done shows in old abandoned banks with marble and no forgiving surfaces. None. Wow. They're probably the worst places. Apart from that, these days too, with the modern equipment we have, back then, you know, we had primitive equipment. So... It was even worse because you had very little control to shape what you were you were mixing. But uh, yeah, I would avoid I would avoid swimming pools and the odd ice rink. I've had I've had a experience of the old ice rink with when they didn't put boards down to cover the ice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I could see that those all those hard surfaces. Uh, have um, is there like a country you've shown up in? where you were uh, uh, thrown for a loop for the equipment that they had. Have you ever shown up somewhere and been like, what kind of a soundboard is this? I can't deal with this. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, when, when I started traveling internationally, uh, which was around 1971, 72, with Susie Quattro, uh, Susie, we, we would go, we went to Yugoslavia, but we took most of it with us. We took our gear with us. The thing to, that, that threw me for a loop back then was the power situation, electricity. You don't oh, realize, right, right. You, in some of these countries, it was, I've been places where it was uh, incredible that we even lived through it, you know, it was that dangerous. Wow. It was that dangerous. And it's, the audience don't think about that. But, uh, well, the Philippines. I went to the Philippines once, and, mm -hmm. uh, and the gear was great, but it was built on little wooden things that I thought were going to fall over at any second. <laughs> I swear, I thought, I'm going to be wearing a helmet here. Um, <laughs> nothing wrong with the Philippines. I loved it there. It was fantastic. But yeah. there are... and and. You know, with Buddy Guy, we played. You know, we played Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, but we were playing the hard rock cafes and and uh, places like that, opening them. And so the gear was the gear was reasonable. There was a, a standard. But we we played Hungary and Yugoslavia back in the seventies, and uh, the rest of Europe was pretty standardized. But but if you went a little further east, it wasn't so. It wasn't. Uh, it was. It, it could be difficult. Yeah, Could but be. now you've got those, you know, now you've got those experiences and stories. And it's such a good excuse to travel somewhere, which is... I, I, love, I, I love the travel, you know. Yeah. I, the, the, the travel is the job. Mixing is easy. The travel, yeah. but now I've made the travel easy too because I don't care anymore. You know, yeah. I sleep anywhere. I eat anything. It's, that's, the, that's the job. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what's your... Well, 
what have you been working on lately? It says here that you're, uh, you've got some Netflix show coming up. Yeah, this um, Adam's Family show called Wednesday, based on the character Wednesday. Um, and uh, I play, you know, the, it's a classic, traditional uh, sort of, I suppose, monster-themed uh, show from the 1560s, based on a book. And I, I play um, Uncle Fester in it. So, uh, you know, I was excited to do it. I really looked like Uncle Fester when I was, you know, bald and everything. And it was, uh, I loved it. I'm very happy about it. I got to work with Tim Burton. Um, so that's like, I would say that's my latest thing. We just, um, put out, uh, another, uh, series or a season of, um, documentary now, which we shot in England and Wales. And, um, that's it. I'm, I'm doing some stand up and doing some, I did some touring, some live performances, but you know, just keeping busy. Did you, uh, did you watch a lot of TV as a kid? Yes, I watched a lot of TV. Um, I watched The Brady Bunch. Um, I watched Six Million Dollar Man. Uh, Donnie and Marie, which is like a variety show. Uh, Carol Burnett's show, Saturday Night Live. Um, uh, I mean, just tons of TV. We, 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 when I say we, I mean me and my sister. We, uh, yeah, we we got very lucky that we got to watch TV. I love TV. And uh, what about MTV? Oh yeah, I'm. I remember watching videos, music videos before MTV because they would play them at record conventions. So in New York, they'd have like a, a this massive record uh, convention, um, like on a pier, you know, like a, in this indoor pier in New York. And there'd be these rooms you'd go into and you'd watch videos. And then there would be, once in a while, they started showing them on cable TV, but not MTV. So I don't know. Maybe it was HBO or something or, or, or whatever. They'd show like a little run of music videos. Bow Wow Wow. I don't know. Whatever band. Uh, and it was mostly new wave bands. So I always had this like, you know, talking heads. And I always felt this sort of like, protectiveness about new wave videos. I was like, no, that's, that's new wave and punk's jurisdiction is, is music videos. So when MTV came out, I was really partial to those bands. And then, then, then every band started doing them. Uh, Devo would show uh, music videos before their shows, you know, on the screen on stage. And, but yeah, as soon as MTV started, I, I, I got into that too. And I just got to stay up forever watching it. Yeah, change music, uh, <clears throat> change the definitely change the promotion uh, situation. Yeah, yeah, they were so artsy. I loved how artsy David Bowie's videos were. Great, God, I really I loved it. I still, you know, I still love it. I still love when bands make the effort to make a really great music video. Yeah, the thing though, what happened? I think at the start of MTV was that that uh, average musicians became bad actors. A lot of that as well. Yep. You know, the song was okay, uh, but we, oh, so we'll spend all this money on the video, but... Yeah. If, if no song, no nothing. True, <laughs> yeah. None of, none of that. Um, 
So playing live for you, I mean, for me, there's nothing. I, I like one take. So I've done a little bit of studio work. I've done a produ produced here and there, but but I, it doesn't do anything for me the same as playing live one take. Yeah, one take. Yeah. Do you still get that buzz when you go on stage? Yeah, it's like active. You know, it's like very like right now. If I'm on stage, I'm I'm doing. It's the most recent thing that I've done. You know, if I'm with an audience, so uh, it keeps me like sharp. Um, I can keep changing my act. Uh, you know, according to like uh, how an audience is reacting. So it's just it's just the most um, like up to date, up to the minute thing as far as like comedy goes so um yeah i love it it's great and plus it's like i know this is like an old it's, it could even be a cliche thing but like uh getting to like go to a city that i wouldn't usually go to just to go and perform that's like it's great you know i love that part of it yeah yeah me too i've been very fortunate now i've been to a lot of beautiful places yeah, uh, uh, rock stars. You know they have to play roles. You know curtains, lights, remembering the lines to the songs, keeping the beat. You know, and hearing the audience clap and scream. It's it's theater. It's you know, the best. Yeah. yeah. So performing in a band on stage, how does that connect with playing characters in your acting life? You know, timing, the spotlight you're used to anyway. You know. It all ends up being the same, you know, it, it ends up somehow, um, even if I'm, you know, even if I'm just drumming, that's kind of like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a type of character in a way. Um, it all just started blending in with each other when I went from music to comedy. So, um, it's the same part of my brain. I don't even have to, if I'm doing a character or if I'm playing the drums, it's kind of, it ends up feeling like the same muscle in my brain. Hmm. Yeah. One thing about drummers is in guitar players, uh, you know, it's physical labor doing what you do. You know, yeah. it's like plumbing, you know, you've got, yeah. you've got metal, you know, Somebody yeah. used to say that about guitar players and singers. This singer once said to the guitar player, you've got metal, I've got meat. I, said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about it like that. <laughs> the things you hear. Yeah. yeah. So, so oh, life on the road. Let's talk about life on the road. Because yeah. at one point I, I got to a point where... where uh, I hated it. In 1975, I took a couple of years off and, and opened a restaurant in London above the Hope and Anchor. And I've never felt like that since. But there was just something. I was burnt out and I was fried. I was also, you know, burning the candle at the four ends, you know, at, at that point. <laughs> um, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Which I haven't done for the last 32 years. So I've been completely abstinent from all of that stuff. So my my but i when i got back into this when i got back into this when i when i stopped uh, drinking and drugging um 
a manager said to me, we were going to Sweden, do you know these venues? And I said, nah, don't know that one, don't know, I've never been there before. And so I show up in Sweden, guess what? I'd been there before. I just couldn't, <laughs> I just couldn't remember any, any of these places. But now I, the, the life on the road, and how do you travel? How's your life on the road? Um, probably, I, go pretty, I go pretty fancy. Yeah. Just because I don't do it that often, you know, I go, let's say I do a tour a year or like two tours a year and they're like two weeks. So I just, you know, just because of, I spent my twenties being, you know, sleeping in such crappy places and on people's floors and, and, you know, and sleeping bags and stuff. So like, uh, I'm like, no, I, I think I'm, I'll give myself permission to like stay at a nice hotel, go on a tour bus also because of the glamor of it. Like I want to, I want to, you know, I missed out on getting to be like, you know, in like, you know, a, a band of the tour in a bus. So I'm like, okay, well now I, I get to do that. So, um, I kind of, I, I kind of like it. I just try to, you know, I, I try to like, I, I, I don't go, crazy fancy but I, I just I do make it comfortable for myself yeah as you should as you should yeah. and me too me too I, yeah. I, I won't work for people that can't put me in a good bed you know yeah it's, yeah. The, it's, it's, the, it's the, the least um, and it's it's almost like not worth saving that money it's just not, it becomes not worth it when you're suffering or you, you, you know you just it, there's no reason for it but you can spend it or you can give it to the IRS is my equation. Exactly, yeah. You know, be good to yourself. <laughs> be good to yeah. yourself. So yeah. being in different settings and, and what do you do to, to decompress after? It, not so much the, the, the drumming, but, but your, your, other, your other work, um, being on set and being in the movie world. And Well, it's pretty much like the places you've seen me. So like when I, when I've seen you and I go to see the B-52s, going to watch bands is where I, all I need to do is be an audience. Like I'm not thinking about anything else, but like enjoying being there. That's like, that to me is like real, uh, that's decompressing. And then, uh, I also get to be like, uh, I don't know, inspired, you know, I, I learn new little things like, Oh, it might be a good idea for me to do blank, whatever for my next show. But, um, it's, it's that kind of thing. But I, I would say definitely going to see bands. Yeah. And also spend time with people at those shows. So, you know, I, I get to talk to Kate and, and or the rest of the band and you, and that kind of weirdly, makes me feel, uh, sorry, I guess it's not weird. It just makes me feel like, ah, oh, life is like I want it to be. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great, that's great. Because you know both sides of the stage, you know both sides of it, the, yeah, the, yeah. Back, the back end and the front. Yeah, yeah. So this year, you've, you've seen me with the B-52s a few times, which is how I managed to snag you to come on this. Um, what I've been doing this year, I started, we, we didn't work for two years with COVID. Nobody did. Right. 
you know, and so all, and for, and un, unbelievably, my marriage survived um, with me being at home <laughs> for two years. But I started working on this podcast and a book and stuff, I'm, I'm, you know, chipping away at that. The B, so, but I did, I got a call in March from Hugo Burnham, a drummer from Gang of Four. Yeah. And Hugo's a great young drummer. He uses premier drums, or premier, as we call them over there. Uh-huh. Um, and they do sound different. They sound very English. Yes. They, they sound very, well, he's very English. So, but, but uh, he called me up and said, Frank, hey, do you want to do, do you know anyone who would do this tour on, on this budget? And I said, no, I don't know anyone who could do the tour on this budget. And, and I thought about it for a minute and I said, I'll do it. And it was the best move I ever made to yeah. get to get out of the house. We were the we were driving on a really beat up bus on the budget. The bus went on fire while we were in it. You were on that tour. This you mean this recent tour? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, so. That was how my 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 year started in March. So I was out for a month with them, but it was the most fun and what oh, a great band. I'm a punk. I'm an old punk, basically. Yeah, you know? and and they're an incredible, inc- just the ultimate. They're incredible. We all love so Gang of they're, Four. They're all cerebral. Well, the guitar player passed, Andy, and yeah, the new yeah. guy we got in, David Paggio, from a you know he's a, a journeyman. He works with Interpol. Oh, I know. I know. Uh, yeah, he's, a, he's an old friend of mine. Oh, David's. He was. He came in yeah. and played the parts, but added something. Yeah. So, so that got me. That kickstarted me, and I thought, "How lucky am I, you know, to be, to be out on this with with yeah. these guys?" And 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 I came to realize it's not about the money, you know. And I'm Scot- and I'm Scottish. Don't tell anybody I ever said that. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then uh, and then the B fifty two started uh, back up again. Yeah. And we got into it, and uh, and that's kept me going through the through the, the, the bulk of the year on and off. And then, and then uh, I, I got a call from a guy that I knew who uh, used to manage the bangles, and I did the bangles back when, in the 80s, uh, when that Walk Like an Egyptian song was hitting. I did that tour with the bangles. And he said, he said, are you still doing road work at your age? I said, sure. What you got? He said, I managed Skunk Baxter, a guitar player from Steely Dan and the Doobie Brothers and everybody else, a very interesting man. So I've been doing that on and off, and I'm about to do a little more of that in December, uh, not to date this podcast, but it, but it is November. <laughs> so, um, so people say to me, well, what's, what's, what's that like? You know, But I'm in a van again. You know, a nice van, but I'm in a van again, and I don't care. I don't care. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. a bus or a plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in it for the life. I'm not in it for the comfort. Although it's nice. It's nice. We get, yeah. We get nice hotels and stuff. But I'm very fortunate because, and yet again, the stuff coming off the stage is easy to mix. I don't tell too many people that, but it's really easy if it's good coming off the stage. Yes, I can imagine. So when you go to shows 
and the sound's not that great. Can you suffer through it and see through it, or or? It depends on like um, uh, how much I love the band. I don't mind it. I don't mind if it's terrible sound. For, I always wear earplugs, but I remember um, seeing the Clash in New York, and uh, I think it was the venue. It was like in this, it, it was outdoors. And the sound wasn't great, but I didn't care, you know? Like, uh, I just was happy to see them and hear them. And to me, it, you know, it still sounded great. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually, I don't mind that much. I don't know why. I just accept it. You know, like, okay, that's, this, is, uh, this is what they sound like tonight. I still love them. Yeah. And I never blame it on the band or the sound person even. Sometimes I'm just like, this was just a weird balloon or something. But wait, I have a question for you. Uh, uh, the Gang of Four tour, I was traveling, I was away, but I heard it went great. It went it fantastic. Like we really, sold, really good. We sold out everywhere. That's what I heard. It was, it was spectacular. And, and there was even two bucks left at the end. Oh, that's fantastic. That's so great. Yeah, yeah. I've learned now, to, if I can do it, whoever calls me, I'll do it. Because yeah. if they're calling me, there's a reason for, the, for, for calling me that, that it's something I should do. And yeah, it, it, I, I believe in that too. I do the same, actually. Yeah, because for years, you know, coming up you, when you're freelancing you got, you couldn't turn anything down you know pe people say you know here's a shovel oh, okay okay I'll do yeah, that yeah. I'll do yeah. that yeah I, I believe exactly the same thing like there's got to be a reason and if worst case scenario if this wasn't a fun experience then okay well then it's done and then I'll remember that you know not to do that one again I just feel like it's it's worth it yeah, but Gang of Four, because we did, Tom Tom Club went, we did, we did a thing in London, the Meltdown Festival, and I can't remember who curated it, but Gang of Four were on and Tom Tom Club were on. And uh, to tell you the truth, I wasn't impressed. Mm. Uh, um, just with the vibe, the vibe. And at that point, Galen Dorsey was playing bass and, and, uh, and Andy and an, another drummer. And I think John King was singing. Mm -hmm. But when when Padjo came in and Sarah Lee came in and Hugo, it was different class. I went to one rehearsal. I had one rehearsal in in a, a music room at the college where Hugo teaches, and it was very rudimentary. No, no, and I thought well, I don't know about this. And then we got to the first sound check and gig, and I went, "Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh my goodness!" They exploded. It was it was a, a different thing. I love that. I love that punk energy, and I love the honesty. But these guys were very, very cerebral. They were all highly educated guys. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, very, very clever. And when I got into that and the lyrics, and and people told me they'd never heard the lyrics uh, the way I mixed them, the Gang of Four. They'd never heard all the words. Yeah. Even they said it was even better than the record. Listening to the oh, word, great. listening to great. the words, because and that's another thing I don't do is ever I I don't I listened to a B fifty two's record the other day because I got some vinyl and my wife put it on, and uh, 
I went, oh, that's what that's what it says. Although <laughs> I, I had grown up with them, you know, because yeah, yeah, our, uh, the association with Talking Heads back then, you yeah, know, you know, which was, <laughs> which I, I still pinch myself that I got to do that. I know. I uh, and you were asking me the other day, uh, well, how did you how did you get from a small village in Scotland to the Talking yeah. Heads? Yeah, I, I said yes. <laughs> no, I spotted it. I spotted it day one when I met them. I spotted yeah. something and said, I'm in here. Yeah. I made that decision instantly. Yeah. And How, I, what years uh, What years were you? Uh, 77 to like 82, 83 time. I can't remember. I was, <laughs> I don't have the, the recall that I used to have of that time. But I left before Stop Making Sense and I did the Remaining Light tour. And then there was a little break and uh, I moved on to do other things and opened Irving Plaza, a dance hall, uh, in oh, one of its yeah. incarnations for two years. I had two, I booked that place and, and was the production manager and mixer. Oh, wow. I didn't know you were there. Oh, yeah. There's a couple of years of, of Irving Plaza where where uh, this this guy said to me, well, you know, we can't get anyone to take our calls. Nobody knows who we are. But we've got the, the door to run this place. And I said, okay. So I came in, and then that's what I did immediately after leaving Talking Heads. I just I needed a change. Yeah. And they needed a change. <laughs> yeah. There was a, a, yeah. I, right. can, I can see that. And, and that's, a great, that's a great venue, too. Yeah. But with Talking Heads, I got all the meat, no potatoes, you know. Uh, yeah. That, that was. The, the I might have been to a show that you worked, but it was a weird tour. I saw Talking Heads <clears throat> after this live album came out. The name of this band is Talking Heads. Yeah. They did some, this. I don't even know what the tour was, but I, it's before Stop Making Sense, but it was with the giant band. Yeah, the Nine Piece Band. I did that. Yeah, so we were in the same room. Wow. Thank you for yeah. the money. You, yeah. You, you, <laughs> thank you for the per diem. <laughs> yeah. I tell people, thank you for this. They come and thank me at the end of the night when they're walking out. They say, thank you. I say, thank you for the money. I shall spend, yeah. it, all, spend it all on petrol. <laughs> on gasoline. But, yeah. but but that was a very special time. You know, you're a fan, obviously. Of, of, you're a Talking Heads fan, too. Oh, yes. So what plans, what, what, what do you have uh, planned for the, the future? Are you, what do you, what's your agent got planned for you? Uh, I... It's hard to describe. It's kind of like I just go from one thing to the other, and it's always an interesting project. And the moment I start talking about it, then I can hear myself sounding like someone from, you know, show business, which isn't bad. I'm not against show business, but like I can always hear myself sounding like, oh, God, I'm one of those guys. But um, uh, there's a show I'm a producer on that's got a second season that just got ordered um and then just like i don't know like a list of some acting things and some some music stuff i'm on my way to new york to work on seth's show so yeah a bunch of stuff when are you going to be on seth's show or is it is that just uh first week of first week of december okay, okay. yeah we'll look for you yeah we'll, we'll look for you any, any, uh, do you ever miss just getting a, a band of your own, 
having a band of your own to play with? Mm, not in this, like, it's almost like that's, that I enjoyed it at the time, but that was really good for when I was in my 20s. You know, like, this is my band and we're going to do it and we're going to make it. Um, I kind of, it was good for them. And like, now I kind of like the way things are like this. So I, I have amazing memories, but also I'm happy not doing that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about taking up acting, but uh, you know. I'm oh, a, please. You'd be great. I'm a one trick pony. Wait, <laughs> <I can> be... <laughs> hey, sometimes that's all you need. I know. If it's a good trick, right? Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll tell yeah. them, I'll tell them Fred sent me. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll get my kilt on. I'll yeah. My kilt on. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing you again and staying in touch. Thanks. I, I, I'm glad that we get to periodically see each other and we'll just bump into each other somewhere and it's always uh, fun and pleasant. And then, um, yeah, I, I'll, hopefully I'll see you soon. All right, Fred, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for plugging in. We can't do it without you. And you can support the show at soundmanconfidential.com and listen to previous episodes. Soundman Confidential is produced by Alan Black and Chet Bentley, social media by Mackenzie Chase, web design by Addie Bell, publicity by Paddy DeVries at Devious Planet Media.